I, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, welcome to episode 500. Continuing on with the uh, development of the English fireplace, which ultimately led to the development of the American fireplace and many fireplaces around the world. So um, fireplaces were increasing at, at uh, exponential numbers, and uh, we're going to uh, roll that into the, quote, recessed fireplace, okay? So at Barnstable in Devon, a complete oven at fire clay is still made in shape like an arched trunk with a small door at the end. So in a similar uh, 16th century kitchen in Skipton Castle in Yorks, where two stone-built ovens are formed in, a, in the wide fireplace recess with a fire space and flue at the center, there is another large fireplace in the kitchen on the opposite side for roasting. In cottages on the Chilton Hills in Bucks, an old form of oven is still to be seen there. That is even today, set between the low hubs of the oven fire and made of iron in the form of a box with a door in front. The top being level with the hobs, a flue is formed under it, which comes up into the chimney at the back. The fire can be made either beneath or above the oven. In the chair manufacturing district, the shavings from the beech wood are used for heating this oven. This oven was afterwards placed at the side of the fire and became a part of the kitchen range introduced at the end of the 18th century. So, again, at this point in time, 16th century, exponentially fireplaces are showing up in all dwellings, multiple. The recessed fireplace with chimney, which as before stated, was introduced into the hall of the manor house during the 15th century and three centuries earlier into other rooms of castles and important buildings, found its way during the 16th century into the hall or house place, the general living room of the yeoman. There are in Kent houses which originally had a central hall or living room of one story open to the roof, between wings of two stories, into which a floor and, at the same time, large fireplaces with chimneys have been inserted. It is supposed that they were previously supplied with a central hearth fire only. The smoke from the fire of wood finding its way out through the window openings or the hole in the roof. Mr. Reginald Bloomfield says that the change can be followed closely in the half-timber houses of the world at Kent. William Harrison, writing about 1577, says, There was an old man yet dwelling in the village where I remain, which have noted three different things to be marvelously altered in England within his sound remembrance, and other three things too much increased. One is a multitude of chimneys lately erected, fireplaces going up exponentially, whereas in their young days, there were not too many above two or three, if so many in most uplandish towns of the realm. The religious houses and manor places of their lords always accepted the, the per adventure of some great personages. But each of one made the fire against the redus in the hall where he dined and he dressed his meat. We may assume that the memory of this old man extended back 50 or 60 years before Harrison's time, 
or to the early part of the 16th century, and that it was during this interval that fireplaces or chimneys were becoming common in houses of the smaller kind. As we find in Somershire farmhouses as examples which appear from the style of buildings to belong to this period. These are in the principal living rooms, which have original ceilings constructed of molded beams or joints to carry the floor above and are not converted, as in the yeoman's houses in Kent, which was previously referred to. At Tierlands in Enmore, the fireplace jams are of stone, but mantel beams are in oak, cut to an arch form and molded the same as the jams. The plan of placing the fireplace against the sidewall of the room was a usual one, and we meet it again with the priest's house in Malkany, the relative positions of the door and fireplace being the same as in the preceding. Here, both jams and the huge lintel are of stone from Ham Hill quarries in the neighborhood, as also the cornice which finishes under a beam in the ceiling. At Stamford Brett, we find another example with stone jams and wood lintel. An oven is built out of the back of the fireplace, and a small opening in the wall admits light to the fire space indeed. Stone hobs and fire bars have here taken the place of the fire on the hearth. The chimney lacks any detail to associate it with a date with the Gothic doorway or windows, or to the molded beams in the ceiling. So we may be of a later addition, we really don't know. Uh, a, su- a supposition strengthened, I must say, by the existence of the plaster ornament or frieze, which would not be earlier than the Queen Anne's time. These three Somersetshire fireplaces, although of considerable width, have not sufficient height in the openings to be used as chimney corners, which appear to have been at a later development or manufacture. Harrison deplores the change of the fire from the central position of the side with its attendant chimney to take away the smoke, and he attributes it to the softening of men's characters from oak to willow and says, Now have we many chimneys, and yet our tenderlings complain of rooms, carths, and poses. Then had we nothing but redos, and yet our heads did never ask an ache. For as the smoke in those days was supposed to be a sufficient hardening for the timber of the house, so was it reputed a far better medicine to keep the good man and his family from the quack or pose, wherewith, as then, very few were often acquainted. When discussing the central hearth, we have given the fireplaces in the middle of the Shetland Cottages, an illustration of the Reardus referred to by the old writers. It is thought that covers were sometimes erected over these, the term being used by Leyland when describing an arrangement of Bolton Castle, which differed from them, for carrying away the smoke by tunnels made on the sides of the wall between the windows. Parker, when referring to this, states, The walls of the hall are standing, and there are no chimneys or fireplaces in it, either between the windows or anywhere else. So we are unable to learn from the buildings 
what these were like. But from this we wonder created in the mind of Leyland, an experienced observer, we may assume that they were quite exceptional in his time in 1538. So MS of the Romance of Alexander of the Boleyn Library shows a fire burning under a canopy which is continued up as a chimney with a stork's nest on the top. As may still sometimes be seen over disused chimneys on the continent. There is nothing to show whether this was the center of the room or against a wall. If the former, it would be a difficult thing to construct, and the obvious advantage of placing it against a wall, except in the case of a wooden building, must soon have occurred to the old builders. Some such arrangement seems to be described by Carew in a survey of Cornwall in 1602, when he says the ancient manner of Cornish buildings was to set hearths in the myth of the rooms for chimneys, which vented the smoke at a louver in the top. Another supposition in that covers, as mentioned by Leyland, may have been another name for hoods. Aubrey says that before the Reformation, ordinary men's houses as copyholders and the like, had no chimneys, but flues like louver holes, some of them were in being when I was a boy. So these flues probably went obliquely through the external wall, with apertures under the hood to cover at the Abington, or as in the early Norman fireplaces. Circumstances varied, though, such as whether the wall was an external one, whether constructed of stone or brick, or of timber or plaster even. For examples of simple hood fireplaces, we must go to those districts which are least affected by modern methods, as in the crofters' dwellings of Scotland, or in the Irish cabins. So a a crofter's fireplace with hobs set against a wall enclosed in jams which carries the hood. This is seen in a somewhat different form in an Irish example, where brick corbelings support the mantle tree from which rises a plastered hood. The next stage in the development of the fireplace is seen in the familiar illustration by Shakespeare's birthplace, where the mantle, resting on brick piers built up from the ground, can rise in front of the chimney enclosure. We thus arrive at the ordinary chimney breast, which is, st- <coughs> which is stated by a writer in the architectural publication Society's Dictionary to be a peculiar to this part of the country. The wooden beam was superseded by the brick arch on an iron chimney bar, which is still used today. Townhomes being mainly of wood and the floors shrewd with straw and rushes, fires were quite frequent, especially in London. And the magistrates say that in the Chronicles of London, quoted by Strutt, are empowered if they are to have any house in the ward that is titled without other thing than tile or lead, and if there is any chemical that hath been in the house, which is very uncommon and may be flammable, otherwise than it ought to be. So the scavenger's oath of office was that they should examine all chimneys, uh, redus, and fireplaces, be made of stone to be a deterrent to a fire, that chimneys of plaster were made 
as we have seen, as Henry III ordered one to be made for the Queen's Chamber at Kensington. In Mr. Ralph Neville's book, The Old Survey Cottages, he refers to it in a curious uh, form of wattle and daub clay chimney and gives extracts from the records of a court leet held at Clare in Suffolk in 1621, where a Mr. Skinner of Sudbury is stated to have erected a dangerous chimney and is ordered to amend it and afterwards fined for not doing so and an order made by the court that no man shall erect and build up a chimney within the borough but only a brick and to be built above the roof of the house by fourteen and a half feet upon the pain of every such <coughs> office to be therefore committed to submit this before he plans to build and on april seventh of seventeen nineteen other clay chimneys are ordered to be rebuilt a brick. So, the mantle tree or beam was often richly carved. And uh, it shows some interesting features uh, on one from Essex, now in the Cedars at Hillington, which has a crowned shield bearing the Lancashirian rose and lion supporters, the jams in this case being of oak as well as the beam. In the example from Faversham, a richly molded oak beam spans the opening almost 10 feet high, I'm sorry, 10 feet wide, with the spandrel showing only reminiscent ornaments. Mottos were sometimes carved on mantel beams. A curious beam was found in an old mansion in Kent, on the ends of which were carved the words Wassa Heil and Drink Heil, with a wassail bowl in the middle on which were shown two hawks intended um, with the builder's name on it. So always, if we touch any tender matter, let us remember his motto on some of these mantel beams. And he wrote upon the mantle of his chimney, um, used to keep a good fire. Um, so let's talk about the corner chimney, and I think we'll finish up today after the corner chimney. To provide an ample space required for the work which had to be carried out in the connection with a fireplace of the living room or house part in houses of the smaller kind. A large part of one side was given up for a chimney corner fireplace. A fire of logs or peat burned on a raised hearth of brick or stone in the middle of a wide recess. Fire dogs were used for raising the ends of the logs and in many instances for supporting iron spits which rested on hooks at the back of their standards. A brick-lined oven which adjoined the chimney corner with an opening into it, though which the smoke had to pass out, and hence up the chimney, and this was provided with an iron door. The oven in this case, on the right, and on the opposite side, a small window gave light into the fireplace. The pot hangers were suspended from an iron bar carried lengthwise across the throat of the chimney, which rested on two traverse bars built out into the front of the brick walls. A substitute for this longitudinal bar was an iron crane. This had a back standard pivoted on iron staples built into the wall at top and bottom so that it could swing around over the fire. In the simpler forms, a fixed arm stiffened by a diagonal brace was the only means 
of support for the pot hangers, but the more elaborate were provided with a lever working on a pin, the long arm being held in position by a quadrant ratchet, controlled the pot hook, which was suspended from a short arm, which it raised or lowered. Many of these chimney cranes are good examples of artistic smith work. The fireplace openings, seven foot wide by four foot six inches high, as in Dunsford, were usually spanned by mantel beams slightly chamfered with beveled edge and projected from this face, the space on simple brackets and also contained a mantel shelf. The height of the opening was seldom sufficient for a person to enter without stooping, and this was often reduced by a small curtain suspended from the beam. So doubtless, these fireplaces often smoked. The plan, however, of raking into a heap of wood ashes, which smothered through the night, keeping the fireplace always warm, must have been of material assistance in this respect. Many of the old spit racks that remain... These were for resting uh, the bright roasting spits upon which, when wad in use, and often showed an interesting design in simple joiner's work. So, a large cast iron back of simple character was placed behind the fire to protect the back wall. Seats often occupied the space right and left between the fire and the side walls, from which the sky could be seen through the vast sooty funnel. These large chimneys are now often found blocked up in this instance, the smoke having to pass through the modern brick hood, which can be seen in many sketches in English books. The little recesses in the back wall, forming shelves on which to place a cup of ale or a pipe, are often found. This capacious mouth to the chimney was sometimes utilized for hanging up flitches of bacon to be smoked cured from the wood fire. Boys were employed to ascend the chimney for the purpose of sweeping, and in some instances, iron bars were built in the form of steps. With the blazing log, the fire draft at the back of anyone sitting in front of it must have been quite considerable, and this inconvenience was obviated by the use of a high back settles, some being fixed and others being movable. So we're going to finish up there. Um, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing out. Hope everyone enjoyed the, uh, as we're moving along with uh, exponential increase in fireplaces in England. So uh, please pass this episode on.